Hey everyone, today we're talking residential energy efficiency training programs with the Department of Energy. As we all know, and we've talked about endless times, we need more folks in the skilled labor workforce to meet the demand for electrification as a country. There's a few bottlenecks on why there is this gap to be filled. One, there's an aging workforce in the trades. Two, there's a perception of trades work being quote-unquote less good than other types of work. Then there's the educational pathway access and financial and geographic accessibility barriers that exist. And there's difficulty in navigating licensing and certification, depending on what jurisdiction you're in. A huge lever to help address all of these bottlenecks is to put more funding toward building state-level programs to get more people aware and into the trades, train existing folks on current technologies, and help them navigate getting certified and coming into the workforce. As part of the Inflation Reduction Act, the U.S. Department of Energy in mid-July of 2023 announced that states and territories can apply for a pool of $150 million in funding to train the next generation of residential efficiency and electrification contractors. These include electricians, energy auditors, HVAC contractors, plumbers, home performance folks, insulators, and the likes. Once states receive this funding, they will develop and implement workforce training programs to help homeowners upgrade their homes for maximum energy efficiency. Some near-term goals include reducing the cost of training, better supporting the testing and certification of folks that have gone through this training, and developing and implementing more state programs so we can build awareness and get more people into the pipeline who want to train in the trades. Some of the long-term goals include diversifying the energy efficiency workforce and connecting underrepresented people with opportunities for economic mobility and stimulate high-quality contracting across the residential sector. So my guest today to talk about all of this is Mary McPherson. She's a program manager on the workforce development team in the Office of State and Community Energy Programs at the DOE. Mary manages energy efficiency and electrification workforce development programs funded by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the IRA. I'm Cody Sims. I'm Yin Liu. And I'm Jason Jacobs. And welcome to My Climate Journey. This show is a growing body of knowledge focused on climate change and potential solutions. In this podcast, we traverse disciplines, industries, and opinions to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and all the ways people like you and I can help. And with that, Mary, welcome to the show. Excited to learn from you today. Thanks for having me, Ian. I'm excited to be here. So let's talk about the Contractor Training Grants Program. Give us a history of how this program came to be and how it fits into the IRA bill that you know everyone at this point has heard of. As you and many others know, the Inflation Reduction Act passed in September of 2021, and that bill included billions of dollars for clean energy investments that included about $9 billion for home energy rebates that American homeowners can use to electrify their homes and also make their homes more energy efficient. That's two separate programs, and kind of the third prong to that program is the contractor training grants, which includes $200 million dollars to train the residential energy efficiency contractors, many of whom will be delivering those DOE-funded home energy rebate measures. So we want to make sure with these programs that there is both funding for consumers to make the home energy upgrades, but also that there is a qualified workforce that's ready to work with those consumers on the upgrades. 
It's like two sides of the same coin. You have the incentives now for people to say, let's, you know, do upgrades in our homes. But if you don't have the workforce that's trained and able to meet those demands, then we have a lopsided marketplace. That doesn't make sense. Exactly. I think most people probably are familiar with the rebates and home efficiency upgrades programs. But today I'm so excited to talk about this other side of the coin on the workforce, meeting the workforce demands. Before we jump into the nitty gritties, maybe if you can tell us a bit more about you, your background, and your professional career so far that's kind of led you to working at the DOE now. I grew up spending a lot of time outdoors and always enjoyed being in nature. And like many, I saw An Inconvenient Truth, Al Gore's documentary in high school. And that made me realize that climate change was a lot more imminent than I had previously thought. So I knew I wanted to work to mitigate climate change. And over the years, discovered the clean energy industry and was excited both that clean energy is a tool for reducing emissions, but it's also innovative and everyone has a relationship with energy. So I studied public policy and graduated and moved up to DC, as many bright-eyed and bushy-tailed young adults do, started doing research on energy efficiency policies and programs because I was excited about the prospect of really creating jobs and saving people money while also saving the environment. So I, over the years at ACEEE, researched state-level energy efficiency policy. I also looked at inclusive energy efficiency workforce development programs to see how states and utilities could make sure they're training workers and individuals for jobs in energy efficiency with a focus on the people who have not historically really had access to those jobs. The energy efficiency industry, unfortunately, is not very diverse. It's mostly men and it's mostly white people. And so there's really an opportunity through these workforce development programs to diversify the industry, bring in more women and people of color and other underrepresented individuals who are from disadvantaged communities. And so while I was at ACEEE, I started feeling like I wanted to be in the trenches, really designing and implementing policies. So my eyes moved to DOE especially with the passage of the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, I knew that DOE is really an exciting place to be with all this new funding and all this work to do to get the funding out the door. So I came across this opportunity to tackle energy efficiency workforce development programs at DOE, and I jumped on it. So that was about a year ago. It's been really exciting to be at the agency, kind of at the forefront of figuring out how to implement these programs and parsing out what Congress wants us to do and what what we sense the public wants out of these programs and how to really bring those two together. For those people who aren't familiar with ACEEE, can you tell us a bit more about the organization? It feels like from how people have described ACEEE, it's just this organization that has been around and really shaped in the background what policy could look like, backed by a bunch of research. And so I think it's worth uh, underpinning what the organization does. So ACEEE, the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, is a nonprofit that's been around since 1980s with the main mission of doing research on energy efficiency policies, programs, and technologies. So my former employer, ACEEE, has teams that look at state and local policy. They look at utility programs and federal policies. They also do research on human behavior, how we can really incentivize and encourage humans to use less energy while not sacrificing anything. 
And so kind of the goal in that research is to figure out how to empower people and provide them the resources to use less energy while still living the quality of lives that they want to live. So I think people often think energy efficiency means you know, putting on a sweater, which it doesn't necessarily. It actually means replacing your AC unit with one that runs more efficiently. So you can still keep your room at the same temperature, but at a lower cost. ACEEE writes papers on those topics and also does a lot of convening of conferences to bring people together and think about how the industry is evolving and what new technologies we want to incentivize and what policies and programs will help us get those technologies out to homes and businesses and institutions. And I'm sure that ACEEE's work over the years had a non-trivial part to play in shaping what the IRA and the bipartisan bill looks like today. And so with that segue, let's set the scene. This program that we are talking about today, the Contractor Training Grants Program, we're talking $150 million in grants for states that will be channeled through the respective state energy offices to reduce the cost of training, testing, and certifying residential energy efficiency and electrification contractors. So this is going to help attract and educate new workers and train and empower existing workers, which then will help support the small, medium businesses all across the country to meet the growing demands in their local jurisdictions on electrification. Speaking as someone who waited months to get the heat pump installers to have a fully trained staff to come in, you know, retrofit my house. Like it is something that as a consumer, I think the pain points are felt. And so very excited that this program is launching. Maybe let's break down the foundations, what we just talked about. So state energy offices, where all this money will get funneled through to build these programs, who runs these offices? What's their relationship to the state legislature? And what's their relationship to utility providers? If you can just give us a one-on-one on that. So state energy offices are state-level executive agencies with directors that are usually appointed by governors to advance their energy policy priorities. It varies from state to state where the state energy office is based. Sometimes they are housed within the Department of Environmental Equality or Protection. They are often in that department. Sometimes they are housed in the Department of Commerce or even the State Department of Agriculture. So it kind of just depends on how a governor kind of classifies their energy policy priorities. And state energy offices, their funding is subject to approval from state legislators. So most states or many state off energy offices receive state appropriations for clean energy programming or energy programming, fossil fuel energy programming too. And states vary widely in the size of their staff for energy offices. I think most are around 12 to 18 people, but they could be as small as three staff members or as large as 3,000 staff members. So that is something DOE navigates is making sure that our programs meet the needs of the smallest and the largest state energy offices together. So these offices manage a portfolio of incentive programs for the public, for the residents in their state and the businesses. And those programs are funded through both state and federal sources. Utilities, as you know, are also a huge source of energy efficiency programming, usually funded through ratepayer dollars. And state energy offices often coordinate with utilities around the types of energy efficiency programs they're offering and maybe other energy policy priorities outside of the energy efficiency space. 
one thing to note also is that state energy offices are a primary audience for the new DOE programs funded through the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure law. So we're working to get these funds out to state energy offices and also work with states to understand what their needs are, what the timing of these programs needs to be, and how we can support them with deploying this unprecedented level of funding. In looking at the small state energy offices, like the sub-10 people versus the 3,000 people, what states are those and what's the level of complexity of the 3,000 people office versus, you know, a sub-10? Is it a function of the population of the state? I'm just curious why there's such a variety of sizing for these offices. It's usually a matter of political priorities and whether a state, whether a governor feels like they want to allocate more state dollars towards the energy office. Some of the better resource states are ones you would expect, like California and Massachusetts. Um, and some of the less resource states are the ones, many are in the Southeast, but it's a matter of how big their budget is as determined by the legislature. When we talk about residential energy efficiency and electrification contractors, what type of jobs does this definition include? And how are these identified as priorities? This is where the money should go to to train these types of tradespeople. Most of these jobs are the ones that are necessary to deliver the energy efficiency and electrification upgrades that DOE will be funding through the home energy rebate programs. So energy efficiency jobs are mostly in the construction industry. Jobs that we'll be training people for under this program could include electricians, energy auditors, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning contractors, HVAC contractors, plumbers, home performance contractors, insulators, or construction laborers. They're really the folks that are going into homes and evaluating, kind of looking around to figure out what are the energy saving opportunities. And then they're the folks who are actually installing those upgrades, whether by adding more insulation in the walls or replacing windows or installing new heating or cooling systems or maybe installing new water heating and cooling systems as well. And where are you seeing the trades that you just listed, electricians, energy auditors, HVAC folks, plumbers, et cetera, where are you seeing the biggest delta in terms of the need to ensure there is a ready and able workforce? Where's a code red? <laughs> code red. It's hard to pinpoint one specific job area where there's a the biggest gap, but we're seeing both skill gaps and accessibility gaps. DOE for decades has been working to incentivize new technologies and get them into the market, but a lot of workers don't have experience with some of those technologies, such as heat pumps. And a lot of these jobs have historically been very hands-on and required eyeball observations from contractors, but these jobs are often becoming more digitized and analytical. And so that requires across those job categories that we make sure folks are comfortable working with data collected through maybe smart thermostats and using that data to diagnose different energy opportunities, energy efficiency opportunities in buildings. So we really need to make sure that folks across those occupations have the skill set to do the hands-on work as well as read the charts and graphs and collect the data that our more digital buildings are starting to collect. Our partners at the Pacific Northwest National Lab have also done a lot of research on heat pump workforce needs, and they've identified significant challenges for one, overall recruiting people into the skilled trades, but also more specifically in the residential heat pump 
and heat pump water heater space, they're finding that there's an opportunity to prepare people both pre-field and in the field using on-the-job training for heat pump installers and technicians. And there's also an opportunity to train the distributors and salespeople around heat pump technologies to make sure they're comfortable with them and know how to describe them and their benefits to consumers. On the outside of the skill gaps, we see an access gaps as well. There are folks who don't have the capacity to train for energy efficiency jobs. Maybe they don't have childcare for their kids or they don't have the transportation to get to a training facility or a new job. And so these folks are working to overcome other burdens that we hope states will start to address using the funding from these programs. Hey everyone, I'm Yin, a partner at MCJ Collective, here to take a quick minute to tell you about our MCJ membership community, which was born out of a collective thirst for peer-to-peer learning and doing that goes beyond just listening to the podcast. We started in 2019 and have grown to thousands of members globally. Each week, we're inspired by people who join with different backgrounds and points of view. What we all share is a deep curiosity to learn and a bias to action around ways to accelerate solutions to climate change. Some awesome initiatives have come out of the community. A number of founding teams have met, several nonprofits have been established, and a bunch of hiring has been done. Many early-stage investments have been made, as well as ongoing events and programming, like monthly women in climate meetups, idea jam sessions for early-stage founders, climate book club, art workshops, and more. Whether you've been in the climate space for a while or just embarking on your journey, Having a community to support you is important. If you want to learn more, head over to mcjcollective.com and click on the members tab at the top. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the show. It sounds like heat pumps is an area where there's a lot of demand and it's a new technology. So we need to train up the existing skilled labor workforce. And this touches electricians, HVAC contractors, plumbing at the very core. And then there are folks that are involved in doing the energy assessments kind of on the outside. And then there's people that have to know how to talk about the technology and sell it to the end consumers. So I see these concentric rings of impact in terms of like the skill sets that we really need to ensure people are well-trained to bring this new technology. Well, not new. It's existed for decades, but really gotten to the level of efficiency. And then there's this other orthogonal area where if people wanted to come in and do this, there's things that prohibit them from pursuing the trades like time availability and things like childcare and making a living wage while doing what is probably years of training. Let's talk about the how to reduce those barriers. One of the key short-term goals is to reduce the cost of training. I think cost is a big barrier to entry. What does that look like? Yeah, a lot of states already have training programs underway, whether some are run by the state, some are run by utilities or local governments, or even community-based organizations. So groups who are already working to bring new people into the energy efficiency workforce. So states can use these contractor training grants from DOE to provide grants to existing training providers, maybe to help them buy equipment or to pay the trainers who are teaching their participants or to pay for classroom space to design curriculum or even to recruit and market the program. One challenge with the energy efficiency workforce is that people don't really know about it. You don't learn about it in school and Energy efficiency jobs exist within other industries like construction and manufacturing. It's not as maybe discreet as some of the other jobs we all grew up learning about. 
it costs money to market the industry and market these jobs and the training programs that will get people into the jobs. So I think reducing the cost of training could also, it could involve training for hard and technical skills as well as soft skills. Something I've heard time and time again is that we not only need someone who knows how to do an energy audit or install a heat pump, but we know someone who knows how to show up to a job site on time and communicate effectively and just navigate the workplace. And many of these jobs don't require college degrees. And so folks could be coming out of high school or maybe vocational schools or community colleges entering a training and certification program. I don't mean to say that none of those folks have the soft skills needed, but folks might be kind of across the spectrum of readiness for the workplace. And so it's important to train people kind of as humans and not just someone who delivers technical skills, but someone who needs to know all around how to be successful in the workplace. Providing certification and testing. Why is that so important? So we're asking states to train people towards industry-recognized certifications to make sure that the people they train have skills that we know are going to meet the needs of industry, of the companies, and the technologies that we're deploying. So states can use contractor training grant funding to pay for certification registration costs for a group of individuals, and maybe even to prepare those individuals for the exam that they'll take in order to get that certification. It's not free to get a certification or take the test. And we hope that states will use these funds to help cover those costs, especially for individuals who would not otherwise be able to afford it. I know this is a new program that has just gotten underway, but I wonder if there, in the past, there have been programs similar to this, maybe not at the scale that we currently have, where federal governments have worked with state energy offices to help build more workforce readiness. And what might some of those examples be of those that have been successful in the past? DOE's Building Technologies Office has a variety of better buildings groups, which are basically collaborative peer-to-peer convenings where they bring folks together maybe from higher education institutions or from commercial building owners. Or in this instance, DOE brought together folks who are tackling energy efficiency workforce development, companies and training providers and agencies, a variety of stakeholders. Their goal was to really make sure they were coordinating around best practices for energy efficiency workforce development and working with those Better Buildings Workforce Accelerator participants to identify pathways for folks in the energy efficiency industry and help bring people into those pathways. So that program did not provide grants to participants the way this one does, but it's more of a technical support approach that DOE has taken to bringing people together on energy efficiency workforce development. We are also already seeing a lot of great state examples on this front. Many states are incentivizing the deployment of the technologies themselves while also preparing the workforce to deliver those technologies, similar to how DOE is funding both the home energy rebates and the contractor training grants. So one example that I would point to is the state of Maine. In 2019, they set a goal to deploy 100,000 heat pumps, residential heat pumps, by 2025. And they actually just passed that goal. So they set a new one to deploy 175,000 heat pumps by 2027. 
And in 2021, the Maine Community College System, they expanded their heat pump workforce programs, and they even launched a new heat pump workforce training lab at one community college. So I think that's a great example of how a state can both spur demand for a technology while preparing the workforce that will be working on that technology. And one other example I'll share is in Illinois. In 2021, they passed the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, which included a bunch of funding for renewable energy and energy efficiency investments, including a clean energy contractor incubator program, which offers both financing and mentorship to clean energy contractors with a focus on the contractors who are based in environmental justice communities. That program rolls out this fall, but I think it's a really great example of how we can support workers and businesses as a whole in this industry in accessing the funding available for new clean energy technologies. So in both of those examples, in Maine and in Illinois, the state legislature said, we need to do this as part of our plan to decarbonize. And the federal government said, great, we will support you and provide us some level of funding in addition to the state itself, funding these programs on training more people to be able to do the work to meet those goals of, you know, heat pumps deployed. Is that right? So those two examples were both only state funded. DOE did not I'm not aware of DOE funding that went to them. And so I think they serve as examples of the types of programs that we would love to expand using DOE funding. Okay. The accelerant there is now a lot more funding coming from the federal government to make more of these programs happen at a higher volume. Exactly. I can't help but wonder how the funding will get distributed. Talk to that. Like, how would this money get depleted? And what's the process for to apply for getting this type of funding? And then also, what role can an individual like me, I don't live in California anymore, but if I was still living in California, how can I make a difference in ensuring that some of this money goes to my state? So DOE is allocating these funds to states using a formula that we've used for a number of years for the state energy program, which is one of our flagship programs for state energy offices. And the formula takes into account states' population as well as their energy usage. We applied that formula to this pot of $150 million. And one thing I'll clarify as well is that the Inflation Reduction Act allocated $200 million for states under this program. We just issued a funding announcement for $150 of that $200 million that we're going to allocate using this formula to states. We're saving the remaining money for a competitive funding announcement that we hope to issue in spring of 2024, just for your own context. So the formula funding, the $150 million in formula funding, we use this existing DOE formula to calculate how much money each state is eligible to apply for. In our funding announcement, we publish those numbers, and they range from about $850,000 in some of the territories and smaller states to about $11 million in some of the larger states and everywhere in between. And so we've told states how much money they're eligible for under this announcement. And we've now asked states to start working on their applications for the money. So in those applications, we're asking states to develop a workforce development plan, including how many residential energy efficiency contractors they think are currently in their workforce and how many they think they'll need in the years to come, and then what their training approach is going to be and who they want to target using these dollars. 
we're asking states to let us know if they want to target at least one or which of the three audience members they want to target at least one. New workers, people who are maybe recent graduates from high school or vocational schools or community colleges or even universities. The second group is incumbent workers, maybe those in adjacent industries. And the third is contracting firms themselves. States can use this money to support businesses and business ownership among workers. We're also asking states to submit a community benefits plan that tell us how they're going to make sure these dollars and the ensuing training programs actually benefit community members, particularly disadvantaged community members. So state applications will be due this October, and DOE will work with states over the months to come through early 2024 to issue awards. And then throughout 2024 and beyond, states will be working to design and deploy these training programs. If I really want my state to take benefit of all the money that could be allocated or that will be allocated to my state, what's the most effective way that I can help make that happen? I would encourage you to reach out to your state energy office. Many state energy offices will have contacts listed on their website. Some states have even have public web pages that summarize their pursuit of this DOE funding, whether for this program or other programs. And so I think making sure your energy office knows that you're excited about this program is really important, especially if you're a business already working in this space or you know that this is going to fill a workforce gap in your community or in your state, making sure your state knows about that will be really important so that you can have a seat at the table in helping them decide if or how to use these funds. Are there certain states that might need the funding more than others? And if so, why? And are those also the states that are incentivized to apply for this money? DOE thinks that every state can use these funds The U.S. Energy Employment Report shows that there are over 2 million workers in energy efficiency, and they are in almost every county across the U.S. This industry is growing nationwide, and so states can really support that job growth today and sustain it for tomorrow using these dollars. But I do think this funding will be particularly helpful for states that don't already have energy efficiency workforce development programs. Because we know this growth is happening in every state and not every state has the resources or capacity to prepare the workforce to meet that demand. And so that's where I'm really excited for DOE funding to help play a role in closing the gap. Something that you touched upon earlier that is worth double clicking on is community benefit. Can you talk a bit more about how DOE will work with the states to prioritize communities that might be more disadvantaged than others for these training programs? DOE is asking states to draft a community benefit plan that addresses four core elements. One, we want to see that they're supporting meaningful community and labor engagement, and that states are actually taking feedback and applying it from community members and labor groups, that their feedback is being incorporated into program design. We also want to see that states are producing strong and enduring partnerships with employers and Third, that they're advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. We want to see that states have plans to recruit underrepresented groups from disadvantaged communities into these jobs to make sure that everyone is really reaping the benefits of our growing clean energy economy. The fourth of those four community benefit plan components is advancing DOE and President Biden's Justice 40 target to ensure that 40% of the benefits of these programs are directed towards 
disadvantaged community members. So DOE is still figuring out how we're going to support states on their community benefit plans. The funding announcement is still pretty hot off the press. And so we're giving states a chance to dig in and we're going to be working with them over the next few months to make sure that we're answering their questions and where they need it, providing technical assistance either to states as a group or to individual states to help them design their community benefits plans and also design their workforce development plans. And then what does deployment period look like for this funding? We're expecting applications this fall, and DOE hopes to get the money to states by early 2024. So the program will run from 2024 through 2028. We expect that next year is when the rubber will really hit the road for states to start implementing the program and, well, first designing it as much as they need to beyond the application they submit to DOE and then implementing it and engaging the right partners. I think some states will probably subcontract with companies or nonprofits who have experience in this space and could play a key role in implementing their programs. So we might see requests for proposals from states next year or in 2025 to get those partners on board. And how quickly states get the money out will really depend on a variety of factors. One is whether they already have a workforce development program underway. And another is whether they have a staff member who has experience with energy efficiency workforce development. We see that a lot of states are really excited to get these funds out the door, but I think it's going to vary widely in how long it takes states to actually get the money out and train people. Last question. Best case scenario, once the $150 million has been fully deployed and let's say it's 2030, what would success look like? Our ultimate goal is to have a skilled residential energy efficiency workforce that's ready to meet local demand for energy upgrades. So after the money is spent, this contractor training grant funding, we envision a more diverse energy efficiency workforce that includes people who haven't historically accessed these opportunities. There will be clear pathways for state-supported training that connect people with jobs and careers in the energy efficiency industry those workers will have delivered upgrades to homes, including a number that have been funded through DOE's home energy rebate programs. So my goal is really for people in any community across the U.S. who want to make their house more comfortable and more energy efficient to be able to find a qualified contractor to work with on those upgrades. Once DOE has deployed the contractor training grants, we see that people will live more comfortably in their homes, small and medium businesses will be thriving. We will have provided economic mobility for disadvantaged community members, and we will be living in more decarbonized communities. Well, this is a beautiful vision to end on. I'm so excited for this recent funding announcement and $150 million to go for building a workforce that we so direly need as a country is a great thing. And so, Mary, thank you so much for the work that you do and for coming onto the show and telling us more about what you've been spending so much time on lately. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks again for joining us on the My Climate Journey podcast. At MCJ Collective... We're all about powering collective innovation for climate solutions by breaking down silos and unleashing problem-solving capacity. If you'd like to learn more about MCJ Collective, visit us at mcjcollective.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, let us know that via Twitter at mcjpod. 
For weekly climate op-eds, jobs, community events, and investment announcements from our MCJ Venture Funds, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Thanks, and see you next episode.